Silver screen. This is gigantic, right? I mean, it's probably stretched out between galaxies, right? And, you know, people are going to come up before him on the day of judgment. I'm convinced they're going to be telling themselves during a thousand years they're in Hades, there must be some terrible mistake. God made a big mistake. I shouldn't be here. I was a good person. And they're going to stand before God on this day and they're going to plead their case and tell God, why didn't you let me into heaven? I was a good person. You should have seen all the good works that I did. Oh, I did, God's going to tell them. By the way, I'd like you to see him too. Gabriel, roll the tape. (laughs) You know, every thought, every deed done in secret, every idle thought, every evil thought, everything in word and thought and deed, it's all recorded. You know, if if this was written in the age of technology like we're living in, I'm certain that John would have used a different imagery. You know, he wouldn't have said the books were opened. He would have said, you know, God rolled the tape or God put the CD in or God, you know. I think it's going to be a visual thing. But for all those folks who think that they're going to get their day in court to plead their case, once again, let me just say this. They don't realize that their case has already been decided. That, that's the big problem with unbelievers today. They really think that when they stand before God in this day, that's when they're going to have a chance to plead their case. They don't realize by the time they stand before God, the case is already over with. The verdict is already in, guilty. God brought the gavel down on the human race in the Garden of Eden. When Adam blew it, he blew it for all of us. We are all guilty sinners because we are all descendants of Adam. All of us bear, as the children of Adam, his guilt. Paul said, in Adam, all what? All die. Why? Because we all bear the guilt of Adam. But in Christ... All shall be made alive. But it's not just that. People want to blame Adam. He blew it for me. Why, why am I being punished for Adam's sin? Every day that they live on the earth, they continue to break God's laws, add to that weight of death, you know. It's not just what Adam did. Jesus took care of what Adam did. The idea is that those folks that think that, you know, I'm going to get, a, get another chance, plead my case, they don't realize the case is over with. It's over with. They are guilty, and every day they add to their guilt by continuing to break the commandments of God. And so they need to realize that, you know, Jesus didn't come to save good people. Uh, There are none, by the way. Paul said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am what? Chief. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Unless a person understands that they're a sinner they will never see the need for a Savior. And that's why I fault a lot of the preaching today, too. Because it's not telling people the whole truth. 
Oh, yes, God loves them. God is a merciful and gracious God. That's only part of the story. He's also holy and righteous. He can't look the other way when there has been sin committed. Now, he loves sinners very much, and that's why he sent his son to die for them. But when Jesus Christ came, he didn't come to die for the good. He came to die for the guilty. He came to pardon those who were already pronounced guilty. We have to understand that. People that were already condemned, not who were waiting to plead their case and hopefully God would see it their way. He came to save those that were already pronounced guilty by God back in the Garden of Eden. The whole human race. And Jesus Christ came to die that we might have a pardon. A pardon. Remember what he said in John 3, 17 and 18? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is what? Condemned already, because he has not believed in the, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus Christ came into a world populated by condemned sinners, condemned criminals. And he came to give us a pardon. Ephesians 1 verse 7, listen, says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The Greek word translated forgiveness in verse 7 of Ephesians 1 means literally to send away. It speaks of canceling a debt or granting a pardon. Again, Jesus didn't come to die for the innocent. He came to die for the guilty, to give us a pardon to the sentence that was coming. And here it is, right? Right here in Revelation 20. This is judgment day. This is not their day in court. This is the sentencing procedure where they're going to be sentenced for eternity. And Jesus Christ came to offer these folks a pardon, a pardon that they didn't want. It reminds me of a true story, by the way. Back in 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the United States mail and was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, but he refused to accept it. Now, that had never been done before. That had never happened before. That you had a condemned criminal sentenced to death, and the, suddenly the president of the United States, why he pardoned him, we don't know. But he pardoned him. When they went to Wilson to, say, to tell him, look, you don't have to die. The president's just pardoned you. He said, I don't want it. That threw things into a tizzy because nobody had ever rejected a pardon before for a death sentence. Now they didn't know what to do. Should we force it on him? Should we make him take the pardon? What, what do we do now? Well, the matter went to Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. Here's what he said. A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused... It is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. The tragedy is that Jesus Christ died not only for our sins as believers, John said, 1 John 2, 1, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. The whole world. Do you know that technically nobody on this planet who has ever lived has got to go to hell? Because Jesus Christ died for every sin on the planet that would ever be committed. But unless a person reaches out and receives the pardon, it will do them no good. If they reject it, then to them it's worthless and can't do anything to save them. 
And that really is why we don't see any legal representation for these people. There is no defense attorney. Because there's only one attorney in heaven. And he's a great attorney because his father is the judge, by the way. In 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, John said, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I actually misspoke. Jesus Christ is not only the defense attorney of heaven, but he's the judge. He's both. There was a story years ago, another true story. It's going back into the 1800s. I forgot the gentleman's name, but when he was a young boy, he was riding in, um, you know, um, a horse-drawn buggy, and something spooked the horse, and the thing took off, and it was racing towards a cliff. And uh, somebody nearby saw what was going on. Uh, the, the boy was only about maybe seven or eight. Uh, this guy was on a horse, charges after him, was able to, at the last minute, you know, jump on the other horse, uh, you know, get it to stop and, and save this boy's life. Literally saved his life. Well, that boy grew up. 30 years later, he stood before a judge. He had been guilty of committing numerous serious crimes to the point where uh, these crimes were serious enough for him to be sentenced to death. And he comes into court on the day of his trial and he sees that sitting on the bench is the judge, and the judge happens to be the guy that rescued him 30 years earlier. And so he pleads with the judge. He says, Your Honor, you remember me. You saved my life 30 years ago. I ask you to save my life again. And here's what the judge said. 30 years ago, I was your Savior, your loving Savior. Today, I am your righteous judge. You know, God is giving people a chance to receive Christ. And of course, if they do, he becomes their advocate. The Greek word is attorney for the defense. And whenever the devil accuses us to the Father in heaven as we're on the earth, Jesus steps forward as our defense attorney and says, Father, don't listen to that. I've already taken care of that sin. It's already under my blood. But these people have never applied the blood of Christ to their life. And so they're going to stand before the judge, who would have been their defense attorney, would have been their loving Savior, but now is going to be their righteous judge. Now, some would say at this point, so if these people have already been found guilty, then what purpose does a great white throne judgment serve? Good question. Listen, the purpose of the great white throne judgment, again, is not for people to plead their case. Case has been decided. They're guilty. It's to determine the, the degree of punishment they're going to receive in hell. It's a sentencing procedure. The great white throne judgment is going to determine the degree of punishment they are going to endure in hell. Look, God doesn't send people to hell, listen, for the wicked things that they do any more than he brings people to heaven for the good things that they do. Whether a person winds up spending eternity in heaven or in hell depends on whether they received or rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior while still here on the earth, right? These people are going to hell not for the wicked things that they have done, but for rejecting Christ. But notice, God is judging them by their works. Why? Because after they have rejected Christ, then God is going to use all the works that they have done, all the evil things they did in this life, to determine the degree of punishment in hell that they're going to have to endure. Just as we Christians are going to be judged by our works 
good works, the things that we have done for Jesus as Christians, which will determine our degree of reward in heaven. But mark it down. People don't, don't go to hell because they have done bad things. They go to hell because they've rejected Christ. Just like we don't go to heaven because we've done good things. We go to heaven because we've received Christ. But the works come into play, don't they? The works will determine if you're an unbeliever the severity of your punishment in hell or if you're a believer the, the extent of your rewards in heaven. So works are important. But yes, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Turn to Matthew 11. I think it's important that we see this. For some people, this is a, a, a revelation. You mean, what? There's degrees of punishment in hell? Yeah, absolutely. In Matthew 11, starting in verse 20, Jesus is talking here. He said, then he began to rebuke this, or it says of Jesus, he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done entire in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Speaking of degrees of punishment. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So obviously the Lord is talking about the fact that these folks, you know, had more in the way of teaching and, and revelation and miracles. Therefore, they were held more they're going to be held more accountable for rejecting the truth than those that didn't have as much. But in Luke chapter 12, you turn there, verse Verses 47 and 8. Jesus said, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For every one to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And again, the Lord is simply talking about the degree of punishment each is going to receive in hell. Those people that heard the truth more than someone else and yet didn't adjust their lives accordingly, they're going to be punished more severely than those that maybe didn't have all that information. You know, the idea here is that people today think they're basically good. They really think, most people, I think, think that they're not perfect, but their good deeds have outweighed their bad deeds. And so, you know, I want to stand before God and I want to show him all my works. And so that's exactly what God lets them do. Someday they're going to stand before God, not clothed in the beautiful white robes of Christ's righteousness. They're going to stand before him clothed in their own filthy rags of self-righteousness. And God is going to judge them according to their works. And are they in for a rude awakening? People don't understand. To get into heaven, you have to be what? Pretty good? Perfect. See, that's what they don't get. Out of their own mouth. I'm not perfect, but I think I'm good enough. The Bible says if you're not perfect, you're not good enough. Well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's perfect. How can anybody get to heaven? That's the, now you're getting it. That's exactly what Jesus told his disciples. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why nobody ever worked their way into heaven, Jesus said. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. That he who believes in him shall be lifted up. 
into heaven by God himself. So we see two books, the Word of God and God's ledger. But there's a third book mentioned here in chapter 20, the book of life, verse 12. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this corresponds to something that all the people that lived in the first century would have understood right away. Whenever a child was born back then, the first thing that happened was their name was written in the official citizen's registry of that town. They were officially now recognized as a citizen of that town. And of course, when they died, their name was blotted out. Do you realize that when every person is born on the face of the earth that has ever been born, they are written into God's book of life, which essentially is his invitation to heaven. They're on the roll now. They, can, they are invited to come to live with him forever in heaven. If they go through their whole life refusing to receive Christ, when they die, their name is what? Blotted out. But there are those who are the redeemed who God in his infinite foreknowledge before we were ever born knew who we would be and that we would receive Christ or not. Those that would receive Christ, well, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life before the what? Foundation of the world. We will never be blotted out of that book. In fact, when it talks about when Jesus said in Luke 10, 20, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Do you know that he used the perfect tense to say that? Your name is written in heaven. Perfect tense in the Greek. You know what the perfect tense is? The perfect tense in the Greek signifies an event that happened in the past whose effects are continuous and unchanging. The Bible says we were washed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus in John 13, right? The word washed there is, the Greek word is luo, which means, you know, completely cleansed. But it's written in the perfect tense. Once you receive Christ and you are washed clean of your sins, that's an act that happens in the past, but the effects are constant and unchanging. Now, as unsaved people, excuse me, as believers who have been washed completely of our sins, as we walk through this dirty world and we pick up some of the defilement, we need to wash our feet. Remember what Jesus said? He who has bathed does not need to bathe again, but is fully clean, but just needs to bathe his feet. That was the imagery. You're, you're saved. You don't need to get saved all over again. But you know what? As Christians living in this defiled world, you need to constantly bathe yourself in the water of the word to keep yourself clean and in fellowship with God. But that's the idea here. Once your name has been written in the official registry of heaven, because we're citizens of heaven, the Bible says. What, didn't Peter or Paul say that in Philippians 3.20? We are citizens of heaven. Why? Because we've received Christ. Our names before the foundation of the world were written in God's book. And they will never be blotted out, ever. Because it's a done deal. Well, we've seen the unsafe standing before God. The books have been opened. They were judged according to the books. The Word of God, God's righteous standard, they haven't measured up. Nobody does. God opened their own personal ledger, which contains every sin they've ever committed, 
which will determine their degree of punishment in hell. And one final book, the book of life. And as God opened it up, of course, their name has been blotted out because when they died, they won't be, they won't be coming. And so they were blotted out, you know. Invited to heaven on the guest list, invited to come, rejected Christ, died, their name blotted out. They won't be coming to heaven now. And so we see them judged out of the books, and now sentence is carried out. Again, let's read verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the final judgment. There are going to be none after this. The Bible calls this being cast into the lake of fire or hell. It calls it the second death. We know that for unbelievers, they die. They are born once physically and they die twice. Once physical and the second death is eternal. You know, physical death is when the consciousness or the soul is separated from the body. We've talked about this. Spiritual death is when the consciousness or soul is separated from God. Can you imagine an existence where it's absolutely void of anything that is of God? You know, the Bible says that even unbelievers live and move and have their being in an environment that God has provided here on the earth. You know, the theologians call it common grace. How that even God, that God even, I should say, causes his sun to shine in the fields of the just and the unjust. Causes his rain to fall on those same fields for both the saved and the unsaved. Unbelievers know something of love, right? Unbelievers know joy, fulfillment, happiness. These are all things that come from God. Can you imagine an existence totally void of anything worth living for? No joy, no light, no peace. I'm talking not just the absence of much of it. I'm talking about being void of any of it. No love, no hope, nothing to look forward to. No way to take your life to end the misery because already, you're already dead. It's hard for us to imagine an existence like that. And yet the Bible says that's exactly what's going to happen to those cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible tells us after the Lord Jesus Christ sentences these people, there's going to be no plea bargains. There'll be no appeals allowed. This is the Supreme Court of the entire universe, and all verdicts are final and they are forever. But in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, Paul said that all the unbelievers one day shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Where is the lake of fire? Well, in Matthew 22, verse 13 and other places, Jesus said that it was in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jude tells us in Jude, verse 13, that these unbelievers, and he's talking about false teachers and con artists and, and, and people that making merchandise and ripping people off. He called them raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 
So we see there's a, a burning involved, a darkness involved, and how do you reconcile that? Well, I like what Henry Morris said. Henry Morris, before he went to be with the Lord, was not only a very godly man, but he was also um, a scientist, well-known scientist. Listen to what he said, I quote, All of these specifications seem to point to the likelihood, though we cannot be certain at this time, that hell, also called the lake of fire, will be located on some far distant star. A star, after all, is precisely that, a lake of fire. There are indeed stars and galaxies that, although burning, do not give off light in the visible part of the spectrum, so that they consist of both fire and cloudy darkness. One might even suggest a black hole, if and when such objects are actually proven to exist, would fit the description. End quote. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said for